8 through 14, or 6 through 14, I'm sorry, can be found in your, some of your Pew Bibles on page 824. Today I'll be reading from the NASB version, um, so it may differ slightly, um, but I encourage you to follow along with me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 through 14. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. May God bless the reading of his word. you'll remember the context of our passage today is the Apostle Paul, in a sense, posing one question, but he poses it several times in the beginning of Galatians three. And the question is, how did God do among you in Galatia what he did among you in Galatia? And there's only two possibilities that Paul considers. Was it by the law, by the Old Testament law and keeping the law in all of its aspects? Or was it by faith in the promise of God? And so in the beginning of this passage and what sets the stage for the context of our particular verses that we've chosen for today is that question. How did God do what he did among you? And we can even pose that question to ourselves today. How does God do among us what he does among us? What are the means by which God uses in order to bring the blessing that scripture says that God wants to bring to all of us. Well, there's a context for this passage, and the context is the Old Testament, and specifically the believer Abraham and what happened to him. So I'd like you to grab your Bibles. I I want to look at two passages. First, uh, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. I want you to see what happened in this passage that Paul is referring to and making a point from. Genesis 15. And at this point, I'm reading from the New International. The reason is, is because it's large print, And with my bad eyes, I can only read um, New International versions, so I don't have a large print NASB. But actually, the NIV is really good in the Old Testament, so I'm happy with that. But Genesis 15, I want to share with you uh, the first six verses of this so you can have the context. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, 
You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Have you ever tried to do that? Whoa. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, picture this. Abraham's an old dude. OK, his wife's pretty old. The scripture says in other places she's about ninety nine years old. The problem is Abraham has no heir. He's worried that he'll have to have an heir through through a servant's child. And instead, God says, no. Let me take you outside. Now, picture this. I've done this in Hawaii. Uh, I used to love it when we lived in Hawaii because I could pitch my tent on Waimanalo Bay Beach. And even though our house was only about a mile and a half uh, away from there, I could leave my tent up at the beach and then ride my bicycle to the beach at about 4 a.m. each morning, lay in the in the lifeguard hammock and look up or or I could come outside of my tent and I could look up into the sky and see all the sky. The stars in a place where there is no light glare to speak of because there's no buildings, no tourist hotels on on that section of the beach in Hawaii. And one of the funnest things I ever did was watch the Leonid meteor showers with all these meteors coming. It was so cool. It was like Star Wars for an entire night there. Well, I tried to count the stars. You take a small little section of it about that much and you look at it and You just look at it and you realize you're into a hundred and you've only looked through that much of your fingertips. Brothers and sisters, that's what God did with Abram. He took him outside at night and said, look up. A man who had no children whatsoever, who was old with a really old wife who was past menopause, shall we say? So he says, your heir will come. And this is absolutely amazing. And in spite of looking at the situation, in spite of realizing that from a human perspective, it was absolutely impossible. Abraham, at that time, Abram, he hadn't been renamed yet. Abram shows us what faith is because he chose to believe God's word rather than trust his own discernment of his own situation or his own experience. And brothers and sisters, that is what faith is. It is believing and trusting God in his word when everything around you screams impossible. And that's the kind of faith that Abram had. And that's the kind of faith that Paul invites us to enter into as he reminds us of all that we have through faith in this passage. One other place I'd like you to look in the book of Genesis. Turn to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Turn back just... Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And this is a man who didn't have his own heir yet. And yet God promises that he will make him into a great nation and God will bless him. And notice God says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Well, when Paul talks about what the gospel is in Galatians three, he brings it back to this point in the Old Testament and said, here's the gospel. The gospel is God made a choice 
And the choice was he was going to choose Abraham. He was going to give Abraham in an amazing, powerful, supernatural, miraculous way an heir when he was old. And through that heir, his seed, which is Christ, Paul tells us in another place in Scripture, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. So what I'd like to do in this message is, is talk to you about what it is that you have by believing and what you received by faith. And notice if you're following my outline that the first point that we see from our passage in front of us is by faith, you are blessed with Abraham, the believer. In other words, by faith, you have a blessing. Now, this is an interesting word, blessing. We use it a lot. God bless you. But what on earth does it mean? Most of the time you hear the word bless, it's in the context of a sneeze. Uh, this morning I sneezed five times um, at our house and Evie's like, what's the matter with you? But often when, when you sneeze, what do people say? Gesundheit, which is German for God bless you. And that's usually the context in which you receive a blessing or you give a blessing to someone. They sneeze. Um, wow. Um, so... But what does that mean? God bless you. Does that mean God heal you because you're coughing and sneezing and you might have a cold? What does it does it mean? I grew up in the South and sometimes it comes out in some of the things that I say, like I say y'all and stuff. And so y'all know that I really am a Southerner still to this day. Uh, But one of the things that people used to say in the South and they still say in the South is this phrase. Well, bless your heart. And they say it. For all kinds of things, they go, well, bless your heart. What does it really mean? How could you be so stupid? You know, well, bless your heart. Um, So in that instance, what does bless you mean? It means you're stupid. Okay, so when you sneeze, it means you need to be healed. And when you're south, it means, hey, dude, you ain't so bright. Um, So what does it mean then when it comes to scripture? This word blessing, what does it mean? There are two conditions that Paul lays out in this passage. You are either blessed with whatever that means, and I'll tell you what it means in a minute, or you are cursed with whatever that means, and we'll get into that in another moment. What a blessing is, it's an enrichment from God. It's something that God gives you that enriches your life and puts you into a position of being right with Him. And that's the context for the blessing and the cursing language that we have in Galatians chapter 3. Paul tells us in in Ephesians 1, he talks about all that we have in Christ. All these amazing uh, blessings. Um, And in, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. In him we have, uh, uh, we've been adopted as sons, having been predestined. According to his amazing grace. So in him, we have all these amazing things. And Paul tells us that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly in the heavenly places in Christ and then spells it out in great, great detail. So from a scriptural perspective, what it means to be blessed is to be in Christ. And what it means to be in Christ is to have the blessings of adoption, being God's child, redemption, being forgiven by God And then also to have the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when you're blessed with Abraham, the believer, by faith, you are brought into this amazing situation of receiving all that God wants to give you. Now, notice there's something else as we go on. As we go on in the passage, we see first that by faith, you're blessed with Abraham, the believer. But secondly, we see that by faith, you're counted 
as righteous before God. See that in verse six? Even so, Abraham believed God. And what happened? It doesn't say he had a lot of kids. It doesn't say that. It says, and Abraham, although, of course, later in the Bible, of course, it says that that's what happened. But in this instance, Paul draws attention to what the text says. Even so, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. In other words, the fact that he listened to what God said and said, I will trust you, Lord, caused God to bring him into a situation where Abraham is now righteous before God. He stands before God as blameless. This man who lied about was Sarah, his sister or his wife. This man who had as many sins as you and I do, but yet he still clung to God and trusted God. That man, because he heard God and said, I believe you, Lord, is considered as righteous before God. Why does that matter anyway? Why is that a blessing? Why does it matter? That we be considered before God to be righteous. Well, there's two reasons. The first reason is, is if by faith you trust Christ and then God considers that you are righteous before him, it secures your future. And by future, I mean your eternity. Yes, we can say that in our present life in this earth, there is nothing secure. Tomorrow, you could wake up and we could be bombed by North Korea. I don't know what, what, what could happen. You have no security in this life for your future. However, in Jesus Christ, you have a future and a hope and a security of eternal life with God. And once that happens, it is settled forever. If I can give a cheesy illustration. Um, how many of you have an iPhone? Raise your hand. Okay. Let me see him. Okay, put him down. How many of you have a Samsung? Raise your hand. Okay, uh, who, who has it? The iPhones or the Samsungs? Well, actually, my eyes aren't very good, but it did look like the iPhones had it, even though I was hoping that the Sams- Samsungs had it, because otherwise my illustration is going to fall flat. But I'm, I'm going to give it to you um, it, anyway. When we talk about settling something forever, well, it's like what happens when someone who's been using an iPhone gets their hands on a Samsung S9 or S9 Plus for the first time. And then after holding that and using that, it's settled forever. You'll never go back um, to an iPhone. Um, I hope I don't get myself in trouble for saying that. Um, think of it like this. You know, in our country, the, the president has amazing powers. He can give executive orders. And one of the things that a president can do is the president can pardon a person. And when the president pardons somebody, even though you were convicted, even though you were guilty, even though you did something wrong and you had to pay for it. In fact, you're in prison because of it. The president of the United States, with just a signature of his hand, can change your status forever with a presidential pardon. And so the last thing that presidents do before they leave office is, is their advisors come and they got a stack of names and everything and they just put it in front of the president and the president just signs, sign, 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 sign. And all those people get a free pass. And all those people who were considered guilty in the court of man are now considered to be absolutely not guilty. Brothers and sisters, don't you see? That is exactly what has happened to all of us through what Christ has done for us. You haven't received a presidential pardon. You've received God's pardon. 
And that pardon means that no longer for any reason in your life, even though we're still sinners, no longer for any reason now until eternity, can anyone say that you're guilty before God? Because the blessing that you have is an eternal blessing. You have now moved from a state of being under God's curse to now being in the state of being under God's blessing. And that comes not through keeping a law, not through trying to be good, not through trying to be better, not through trying to live to a moralism. It comes by trusting God. And that's what the gospel is. And it is absolutely amazing. But what's the other reason why being counted as righteous before God by faith really matters in our lives? I I think it's because it matters to us and our personal experience. Now, think about it for a moment. When you sin, how do you feel? Don't answer that. Okay, that's a rhetorical question. Um, And don't tell me what you've done either. Um, The the second thing is, is when you sin and someone else points it out, how do you feel? Yes, exactly. Worse. Um, And the problem is, is that when we sin, we have a problem from three directions. Internally, our conscience says guilty, guilty, guilty. I call it the monkey. I have the guilt monkey. He sits on this side and goes, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty. I want to strangle the monkey and throw it down. Okay. And then. On the other side, I have the angel saying, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Well, see, you've got that monkey and that angel in your life, too. That's called your conscience. So from our from our internal perspective, guilt brings a problem. But from God's perspective, guilt separates us. And something has to be done. But from a human perspective, other people see that you're sinners and they rub your nose in it. They're constantly reminding you, not of the blessing of God that comes to you by faith because of what Christ has done. Instead, what people do, and it can be your parents, it can be your teachers, it can be your friends, it can be your employer, it can be anyone. What do people do? They always point out, well, you did this, you did that. And the problem we have, even as Christians, we don't give people the gospel enough. We don't remind them of where they stand before God so they can begin to appropriate all the power and the possibilities in their own life. Instead, we remind people, you screwed up, dude. You screwed up. Yeah, I know I screwed up. You know, And sometimes the things that bother me are not my sins as much as my mistakes that bring me shame. Earlier this year, I had an opportunity to preach in our Mandarin section, and I was talking about an illustration. Uh, as a musician, I didn't struggle as much with my sins, but I certainly struggled a lot with my shame because of my pride when I would really mess up a big performance. And I remember, I remember the date. It was in October. It was 1981. It was a national public radio live broadcast. um, And I was playing principal trumpet with the Eastman School Symphony Orchestra and I had all these solos. And the one solo that really mattered that's being broadcast to the entire United States is the opening part of Lieutenant Kiji and my lip was wasted from the dress rehearsal and brothers and sisters I messed it up and I messed it up bad and from that day until today probably one of the things that bothers me the most in my life is that why because your mistakes and your screw ups that aren't necessarily moral failures they're simply human imperfections they bring you shame before men and men don't let you forget it do you know what my Eastman friends say when they meet me you know, and it's been more than 30 years since I graduated from the Eastman School of Music. They don't say, hey, Tim, how's it going? You know, how's your missionary time for 25 years in, in Taiwan and China and Indonesia and all those crazy places? They don't say, how's your family? You know, how's your your 
your monitor lizard, Como de Dragon, who died last year, if they were following me on Facebook. No, nobody asked me that question. You know what they, you know what they remind me of? Hey, dude, do you remember how you screwed up Lieutenant Kichi? Yes, I remember. So, so the point is, is that the things that we do where we mess up that bring shame are things that bother us the most. And that's where justification by faith really makes a difference. Because when you believe in your heart that the worst about you, which is not even known by human beings, is known by God. And although it brings true guilt, yet it's been forgiven because of the blood of Christ and because of the fact that you're trusting Christ. Because of that, when you struggle with guilt, when you struggle with shame, when you struggle with your own sin, it makes a huge difference. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves more and we also need to bring the gospel to other people more because it is absolutely amazing. So by faith, you're blessed with Abraham, the believer, and by faith, you're accounted as righteous before God. But notice the third thing. By faith, you are no longer under the law or the curse of the law. And notice what happens. Verse nine. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not a faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Wow. What is this saying? It's saying that the law actually does have a reference to our lives because the law Not only the Jewish law, but the moral law has a claim over our life. And the law says this, do this and live. But if you don't do it, you'll be cursed and you die. And so even though we're not Jews, all of us, in a sense, fall under the curse that comes from the fact that we are not morally pure 100 percent in God's sight. And that was the problem with the Jews, even under their law. They didn't perfectly keep their law. And because of that, there's a curse that is that is out before the people. You can't help but get out from under it. Now, I want to give another illustration. A curse is something that comes to you and has to come you come to you because you broke a law or for my illustration's sake, you broke a rule or something. We had the Easter Cantata recently and I was conducting the choir rehearsals before the Easter Cantata. And I'm very strict with people in rehearsals as a conductor. And so when I when I stop conducting, I tell people you have one and a half seconds to stop singing or stop playing your instrument. And I'm really, really like OCD about that. I'm conducting along. I stop. And boom. They, they got to stop. Well, the choir had this habit of I'd stop and they'd keep on going. La, 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 la. And I'm like, no, stop that. You know, so I told them once. They didn't listen. Told them twice. They didn't listen again. Told them the third time, you have broken the rule and the law of So I told them that. And then I said, so as a result, you guys are going to have to pay a fine. Every time that happens again, you're going to take $100 and, and have to give it up. The entire choir. And then we're going to put that in a little jar and give it to the missions committee um, when uh, at the end of all, all all the rehearsals. So, you know, what happened was, is the choir, um, the choir ended up with a thousand dollar Fakwan, a thousand dollar fine as a result of not stopping on time. And now. What do you do about that? 
I told them they, 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 they couldn't get out of it. Um, actually, they did get out of it because people came and told me that because of how short I was, that the people in the back couldn't see me. And that's why they kept on singing. So um, I, I had to, like, completely throw it out. But, but the point is, is that they were obligated to pay the fine. So even though, you know, some people couldn't see me in the back, one woman in the choir came up and said, where do I send the money? Well, brothers and sisters, somebody had to pay the fine. And what our text tells us is that because of the law and its dictates of holiness and its demands over us, that if we're not able to do it and get the blessing by being good, then we're under a curse. And so in order for us to be blessed, someone has to be cursed. Think about it from a football illustration. Um, In order for there to be a winner of the Super Bowl, there has to be a loser of a Super Bowl. You see? You can't have winners. You can't have somebody blessed without someone else being cursed. And we all know who was cursed this year. And we all know who who was blessed um, last year. But that happened because you can't have one without the other. Well, brothers and sisters, here's what the text is telling us. It's telling us that because of our sin, Christ Jesus was cursed for you. And when he died on the tree and when he hung on the tree, he was taking upon his own person the wrath of God and the curse that comes to each one of us because we do not measure up to the perfections of the law of God. And the only way that you can be blessed, God can't just say tight and you're all OK. God can't just bless you when you're all OK. Somebody had to be cursed in order for you to be blessed. And the one that was cursed was not you, if you believe it was Jesus. So that now you because of what Christ has done, stand righteous completely before our God and our Savior. And that's what you have by faith. And why did this happen? Paul tells us in verse 14, the whole reason behind it. It it was all for one reason. Everything that happened, the blessing of Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. The blessing that came to Abraham by faith so that we would see him as the example of all those who believe. The fact that Christ was cursed for us on the law. Why did that happen? Look at verse 14. <coughs> it happened in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come even to the Gentiles so that all of us, Paul says at this point, we, Jew and Gentile, might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. The only way that anyone becomes a Christian is through the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. The only way that God can do the miracles that he does in our life to change us, transform us and bless us is through faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus Christ has done. So, brothers and sisters, this is what we have in Jesus. A blessing that was promised to Abraham. It was fulfilled through the sacrifice of Christ, and now comes to each one of you today. Let me ask, where are you at right now in your own existential experience? Do you feel guilty before God? Do you feel shameful before others? Are you condemning yourself? Or are you trusting in the one who clears your sins, makes you stand righteous before him, so you can stand honest and yet forgiven before others? God wants every single one of you today to shift your trust and your faith from trying to do it yourselves, from thinking that you can do it through the law, to trusting the one 
who's died for you, that you might live through him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great blessing that has come to us through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you so much for Jesus' willingness to die for us. And Lord, just as someone had to be cursed in order for us to be blessed, we pray that even today as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, that we would not take that for granted. That our blessing comes at the expense of your son's suffering and punishment. So we pray that as we take communion, we wouldn't experience cheap grace or a cheap nourishment, but instead we would experience the blessing that comes to us because of the gospel, the gospel that was preached to Abraham, the gospel that we enter into as Gentiles by faith and the gospel that now we carry to the world because of Jesus. So we praise you, Lord. We ask you to inhabit our praises as we continue celebrating the Lord's Supper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.